Hello, and welcome to Vitals, where we check in on the most pressing topics in healthcare and data. Today, we're getting a pulse on the transition to value-based care and how to go from risky business to data-backed decisions. Joining us are Carrie Nave, Director of Operations at Ascension, Nicole Geyer, Director of Client Business Management at Arcadia, and Brian Kroger, SVP of Value-Based Care Services at Arcadia. Together, they'll cover why taking on more risk isn't as daunting as most healthcare providers think, ways healthcare organizations can work with a partner to help them make sense of their data, and how organizations who take on more risk can improve their finances while also improving care delivery for their patients. Brian, I'm going to hand it over to you to get this conversation started. Great. That's uh, that's very helpful. Thank you for the uh, for the very kind uh, intro and uh we're going to uh, we're going to spend some time talking about something that Carrie and Nicole and I do every day, which is help manage uh, risk contracts of various kinds, uh, uh, with various uh, types of providers, and with with all kinds of uh, of, of different kinds of contracts that uh, that can be in play. So we have a lot to talk about, and and you know it's likely that as we start to have this chat, uh, we'll we'll just get talking and and forget that. Uh, you know, forget that some of the others are here and we don't want to do that. So if you have questions, we would invite you to shoot those questions to us. We have a lot of experience in, in terms of how to get from there to here, from risky business to to the uh, to the data back decision making process. Um, we're going to talk. Uh, we're going to point out that uh, Carrie in particular and her organization, uh, the one that she works with at, at, at Amida uh, in the Ascension system, uh, has been very successful at, at managing risk for many, many years. Uh, uh, this is uh, this is a, a, a the Amida is is sort of the latest version of a customer that that we have had as Arcadia for almost 24 years now. So we have a lot of experience working with the various entities that uh, that the uh, that Amida has been and and has become. They're very successful. A lot of good ideas. You're going to you're going to be hearing about that. Nicole and I reckon uh, we we are we are part of the company uh, that that is putting on the vitals pitch today. We're part of the Arcadia system. We're part of the system uh, that does the services that support people that have taken risk, and we've done some of that along with helping helping uh, our company roll out the data kinds of activities that happen. and And Carrie has a better feel for how that gets used, and so we'll talk about that. Um, there's been a lot of conversation over the last 10 to 12 years about risk and moving from from where where uh, where people are taking fee for service and then trying to figure out sort of as the process moves how you move into risk and there are some uh, there are some scary parts and that's why we started out by talking uh, calling it jokingly risky business um, this this is uh, taking taking uh, risk is something that that most organizations feel at some point like they have to do and leading up to it and even being in the middle of it can sometimes feel very, very risky. And, and, and we understand that because we do that every day. And in fact, if, if uh, you know, I was preparing for this conversation and I was taking a look back at sort of my career and, and, and how, uh, how we got to where we at and, and it became very obvious why this feels like risky business. So just a quick, summary of kind of where we've come from and where we're going. So this whole idea or the precursor to value-based care started back with the uh, HMO Act of 1973. We aren't going to spend a lot of time in 1973, but I thought it was interesting that um, that the the idea of, of the uh, building HMOs at the time was, and this is from the federal government website at the time, they wanted to improve health they wanted to decrease healthcare costs, and they wanted to increase preventative healthcare uh, as a way to decrease costs. So this is this is obviously now something that's about 50 years old, and we're saying the same things. So the the ACA system that we're talking about and value-based care is really those same three things that were that were uh, created back in 1973. At the time, the uh, the organizations that got into HMOI were the traditional insurance companies who went full bore into it, new HMOs that ultimately uh, got started and then went bankrupt, as we'll talk about in a minute, and providers. Uh, in fact, there was all kinds of staff models and group models and 
network models and, and IPAs uh, who are created to help take advantage of this new, this new ability to earn money a different way. Then came the 90s. In uh, 1989, the first, uh, the first of the HMOs that got created uh, for activity, MaxiCare, my employer at the time, went bankrupt in 1989. They were bringing in $1.8 billion worth of activity, and they were $270 million in the hole. Um, so not a, not a good start. And throughout the 90s, there were failures of about 50% of everybody that was taking risk in the 90s. In fact, uh, as I was talking to Carrie about before, I grabbed a, uh, an article from the LA Times in March of, of uh, 19, uh, 1999. And uh, this was a time when they were noting that Med Partners had just gone bankrupt, FPA had just gone bankrupt, both in California. Uh, the HIP organization in New Jersey had been taken over by the state government. And in fact, they said 20 major hospital management firms, HMOs, and uh, large physician organizations uh, had gone bankrupt in the previous year. Um, so it's hard to remember that. But but that was 1999, and 1999 is stays in our memories because providers, like most of us, have long memories, and many of them, especially the folks that are now in their 60s and 50s uh, and have been around the block a little bit, remember when taking risk almost invariably meant losing lots of money and potentially going out of business. So that was, that was the 90s. If uh, then moving into the 2000s, unless you were in a state called California, Illinois, or parts of Tennessee, most of risk went away for 10 years. It, it completely disappeared, and everybody went back to a to a, a fee for service environment. We were lucky that we we uh, we had our our uh, activities going on in Illinois, where the Blue Cross plan there said, you know, we're not ready to give up on this model yet. We'll we'll backfill the uh, activities. Uh, we'll we'll give money to those people that have lost money, but you've got to hire a a, a professional organization to step in and, and help out and and do what uh, needs to be done. And and uh, so that's where Arcadia built its business. And that uh, one of our first clients, our second client, as a matter of fact, was the uh, the earlier versions of of Amita, uh, back way way back in the uh, in in the late 1900s. Um, so. Uh, that activity kind of went on for 10 years, fee-for-service, with its, with its pockets of, of, uh, of risk, uh, California moving to mostly risk in the, uh, in the, in the Medicare uh, kind of activity and getting pretty good at it, quite frankly. Um, and then all of a sudden in 2010, there was ACA, uh, or Obamacare, as some people call it. Uh, but the ACA was created with the idea that we were going to improve health care, we were going to decrease costs, and we were going to increase preventative health care so that everybody could stay healthy. Again, 40 years later, we're back to the same place that we were again. Uh, and the system was built this time with, with, some, different, with some different ideas uh, about how to make that happen. And, that, and, and that, those ideas, those kinds of activities essentially became ACLs. And that turned into value-based uh, value care. And so those are, that's kind of the history of what's there. So not surprisingly... It was risky business for a long period of time. And into that risky business jumped Carrie Nave. And Carrie Nave uh, is, is, uh, has been working in that risky business environment and moving towards data-backed uh, success um, for, for many, many years. I won't call you out on how many years that was, Carrie, but perhaps you could, you could kind of give your story about uh, how you got into this business and, and, and where in this sort of uh, stream of consciousness you got involved. Sure, and you know, I, I wasn't in it in 1973, however, but I have been in it for about 35 years. Um, so I, I started in, um, actually uh, in my first 10 years in the, in the business was uh, uh, handling member services, provider relations, uh, provider contracting, ancillary contracting, hospital contracting, any type of contracting, I pretty much did in the first 10 years of my career. Um, I also developed uh, provider and hospital networks in Tennessee and Florida. Um, for the last 25 years, I have worked um, pretty much at the same organization. However, we have gone through many evolutions and name changes. So um, as the director of operations, my position kind of has evolved um, from overseeing an internal team of, of claims, member services, configuration analysts, um, and various uh, plan audits um, with the contracts that we had in play. Um, I also um, have heavy strength, or my strengths are pretty much in operations, 
and clearly understanding all areas and how it impacts um, uh, and managing risk. Um, my job kind of has evolved from that to my current role, which is um, working as the liaison between the clinically integrated network and Arcadia. So I work with various departments within our CIN um, and also um, work as the administrator for the Blue Cross Blue Shield contract, making sure that we're meeting all the timelines and the various reporting requirements for that contract. I also handle all the letters of agreements for Ascension. Great, great, thanks. And and just uh, just to kind of give everybody a, a taste for what's coming, um, your we mentioned your organization has been very successful at taking risk, and we don't want to get mm -hmm. to, you know too in, into the details. But but is 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 uh, as you think about the organization, how does how does your organization define risk? What would make that you know what would mm -hmm. make a good year for your organization? Well, I think you have to understand when you start getting into risk, you have to understand the market. You have to understand where are you at. Um, I know that the audience, you know, on this call is probably in various different markets. And are you, you know, and I think you kind of talked about this. Are you at fee for service in your area? Are you in value based in your contracts or are you actually in risk? So I think you need to take a look of your market and understanding your market, where the plans are going, where the payers are going and making sure that um, you look at that. Um, overall, I think you need to look at um, the, the, your um, provider base. You need to understand, uh, again, the market, where, you're, where the payers are, are going and where they're, where they're um, looking at moving um, the contracts. So I think that that's mo the most important thing to look at out of the gate. Um, if you're looking at getting into more of the value-based contracts and you're from fee-for-service, that's an easier transition, I think, than going from fee-for-service all the way to risk. Good. And I will tell you that uh, in the fee-for-service environment, in the uh, value-based care uh, environment, we have watched mm -hmm. Amita pay out increasing amounts of bonuses year after year after year. I mean, literally, mm -hmm. since ACA was, was, was created, there have been at least some bonuses and and in, in in more recent years some pretty remarkable bonuses so a very successful program that you're mm -hmm. running so all of those things uh, you are to be congratulated you and your peers uh, on on that kind of activity um nicole uh nicole geyer uh, who works for arcadia uh has the has the uh you know the the good the good luck to be able to work day to day with carrie uh and the amita organization but also uh has her hands in with customers of ours who aren't Amita and maybe aren't quite as successful or at least uh, not not uh, not a, on as large basis as possible. So Nicole, maybe you want to talk a little bit about uh, your your thought process on looking at the value-based care marketplace. Sure. Um, I'm Nicole Geyer. I'm the Director of Client Business Management here at Arcadia, and we service a variety of customers who are in a variety of different value-based care and fully delegated risk contracts. So Carrie, Carrie is from a large organization who, again, has been very successful, and she's in MSSP, ACO contracts, as well as the Illinois Blue Cross Fully Delegated Risk Contract, where uh, Blue Cross, as the payer, gives the organization a specific amount of money and their organization has to manage the members uh, using that fixed amount of money. And they've been able to keep their members healthy um, and keep their providers happy by providing incentives at the end of the year and using that money to um, better serve their network and build their uh, administration. So uh, again, we have other customers who are maybe smaller players in the game. Um, maybe they're only in an MSSP ACO, and right now they only have upside risk. Um, they're serviced by Arcadia. Um, we, we provide uh, CMS web interface reporting services. Uh, we have a tool that they can use to, um, to enter their data into so that it gets uploaded to CMS at year end and it can report their quality scores. And then we have other ACOs where, where they have bought their, our analytics tool, which can um, 
integrate both claims data and disparate EMR data to provide quality measure scores and um, different care management reports to identify high-risk members. Um, and then we have, we have other organizations who have these fully delegated Blue Cross risk contracts. They may not be as large as Gary's. They might have fewer providers, fewer members, but they might need a back office to do some of the services that they cannot handle themselves or that they don't want to do themselves. And, and um, so those services that they uh, kind of send over to Arcadia would be claims processing, utilization management, um, customer service, and then sometimes quality and, and care management. So you're you're describing a lot of uh, a lot of services that sound a little bit like what an insurance company does. Um, is is that the model in Illinois, and and uh, and, and is that a model that's uh, easy to roll out? Uh, you know, difficult to roll out. What how 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 would you describe uh, you know setting that kind of process up? Yes, acting as an insurance company is highly complicated. So if you're getting into the risk business, you may not have the expertise or the money to be able to pay your own claims or do your own quality. And if you're looking for a partner who has the knowledge and expertise and can do that and already has the tools available, you can outsource some of those services to Arcadia and you can focus on the services you are able to do. For example, if you can't pay your claims but you wanna do your quality and you have good nurses who can do care coordination and you have good PR people who can go out there and contract with your providers and do the credentialing, then that's what you can use our Arcadia to do. And, and again, then Arcadia can focus on all of the complexities of paying claims and managing the provider fee schedules and doing the provider ads and deletes and all that sort of um, administrative stuff that comes along with these risk contracts. Great, thank you, Carrie. Yeah, I think that. Yeah, Carrie, I, I was going to say, that, yeah, yeah. Nicole is Nicole is really describing sort of a very, a very mature and a very, uh, a very mm -hmm. significant risk program. But you have programs that don't go that mm -hmm. far. I mean, that, that start out a lot, a lot further down the path, right? I mean, uh, organiz, you know, contracts that really aren't all the way out to full delegated risk. Can you describe Correct. some of those contracts yeah. for us? So I think some of those contracts, what we do is we're more into the quality. So that's more the value-based. Again, we're looking at, again, we use that Arcadia Analytics tool um, that has been very helpful in terms of measuring where your providers are with the quality metrics. So it's real time. The providers can look and see exactly where they are with their closing of their gaps. Um, also, we have our quality team that can send out risk navigators and risk coders to the provider offices. So that's very helpful in closing gaps. And then again, we work with the provider and their offices to schedule a meetings with um, their providers and their staff. Um, again, you're trying to incentivize the physicians for um, high quality outcomes. And, and, and again, um, we also have a provider relations team so I think, you know, going back to what Nicole was, was just stating is that if you're gonna look at risk and you're gonna say, okay, how much staff do I need to do all of this? You have to look at, do you wanna buy it or do you, you wanna own it? And we, well, I've done both. I've, you know, I've actually worked in the back of the house, um, ran the whole system, ran the claim shop, the eligibility, the referral management, all of that that you need, all the staff that you need, or you can say, you know what, at night, and we decided to do this is we looked at Arcadia and said, you know what? They can do the back of the house. And again, like Nicole was stating, you can say, we'll do, you know, we'll have Arcadia handle the claims, the, the referral management, um, you know, but we'll handle the credentialing of the providers and we'll handle the quality metrics or we'll handle the quality measures and we'll have a quality team. So again, it's just understanding exactly what does your organization want um, in setting up those types of risk arrangements. You know, I've often heard your boss kind of say, you know, if it's touching the patients or the doctors, that's something our system should do. Um, exactly. The other things, uh, that's that's something that, that we could feel more comfortable uh, jobbing out. And, and I think that has been mm -hmm. a successful uh, mix for you. Mm -hmm. um, so when you take, Carrie, when you take a look at some of your contracts, um, so describe, I mean, some of the contracts are, mm -hmm. uh, you know, kind of like a, the, the, the terminology we've used before is upside only. You, you talk about mm -hmm. quality of care. Uh, contracts. Mm -hmm. 
then you've got this contract way out there that's a, a heavily delegated, full, almost full risk contract that we've described yeah. uh, uh, through some of what Nicole was talking about. What are the other kinds mm -hmm. of contracts that your organization has? You have multiple, I, I'm sure. Well, we, we kind of have two tracks. What we do is we have uh, track one, which is the risk agreement. So that's like the Blue Cross Blue Shield agreement that we were talking about where, you know, uh, Arcadia handles the, the claims and, and all of the administrative. Full risk, um, much more full risk. Full risk contract. Much more yeah. full risk, exactly. And then we have what we call track two, which is, again, more of our value-based agreements. Um, that again is not, we don't pay the claims. The insurance company pays the claims. We handle more of the quality measures and metrics. And how is, uh, how is the interaction, you know, you're, you're, these are contracts you've had for a while. So the interaction with the insurance companies that you're dealing with are, are established. What kinds of, mm -hmm. what kinds of things are they looking for you to do on the value-based care, non-heavy risk mm -hmm. contracts? What, what kinds of outcomes um, are they again, looking for? Yeah, they're looking at, again, they're, you know, for if you're looking at more of like the Medicare um, value-based agreements, they're looking for like the five stars. They want to make sure that you're adhering to try to, to get those, um, the five stars. We talk about the stars all the time. Um, they're looking at, you know, again, uh, patient care, making sure that you're outreaching to your patients, either by care management or, again, you know, making sure that the physicians are in, in, in line with the, the quality measures and closing the gaps. Um, so I think it's just, you know, uh, the plans are, we just met this afternoon with Humana um, to review kind of where we're at in the value-based uh, agreement. So you meet with them on a, a monthly, quarterly basis to, to um, see various different reports from them. And you also have your internal reports that you're looking at and reviewing. You know, we have a medical economics department that reviews the different, port, different reports that they send down to us. We have PCP scorecards so the providers can see where they're at and they're closing their uh, gaps in care. We have a provider report that looks up in and out of network. Um, so again, it's making sure that you have enough data and that you're reviewing it. Um, I always say to everyone, data is king because that's gonna be making your decisions. So you, make, you have to make sure you have a good analytics team that can help you um, with that. Well, it's interesting that you should mention that because as you were saying those words, we got our first question from the audience, which is sort of, uh, it, you know, from your perspective, how does a data-driven um, predictive support, support tools, the tools that you use, mm -hmm. how does that uh, help in designing your, your uh, contract between providers and insurance companies or between the insurance companies and, and your docs? Is it helpful? Data, is data helpful? Is it uh, more problematic? What, what, do you, what, do you, what, do you th what is your organization thinking about data? Mm -hmm. Well, again, we, you know, we use the various tools that we have from Arcadia. We, you know, we use the analytics tool. Um, we use, uh, you know, your, we have with the, you know, the front end of the tool, we have the back end of the tool. We're constantly pulling data down um, to look at various, uh, you know, costs in certain areas. Um, we're also looking at, you know, our days per thousand, how long are patients in the hospital, um, making sure that they're good, getting good quality care. I think, you know, in the reports that we have that we've kind of fine-tuned over the years have been very helpful in making decisions um, for, for our organization. And is the data different, uh, the, the data that you have for your full risk contracts, is that different mm -hmm. than the data you're getting from insurance companies on, say, the upside only risks? Uh, or do you use the same systems for those? How, how might well, those differ? Well, again, with, with the risk agreement, you're getting a lot more, uh, I, I, I find that we're getting a lot more on the risk uh, contracts. We're getting a lot more data from the health plans than we are on the value base. On the value base, you kind of have to have your own. I have found, um, though they're getting, you know, the health plans are, you know, sharing more with us, but not as much as, I, as we would like. But I think on the risk side, we're, we're getting um, a lot of data from the health plans and also internally. Okay, great. And we'll come back and talk more about that because I think that's an important, uh, you know, that's, uh, mm -hmm. we've watched Amita really develop significantly on how they use their data. And that's, I think you can speak more to that. But Nicole, we, we also work with customers that start out not having a lot of data and, and not, not having uh, either the will or the, or the, the capability to, to find other data. How, how 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 do we uh, how do we help them in in terms of thinking about uh, um, using data to drive decision making? 
Well, we do have some uh, smaller groups, um, not as large as Carrie's organization. And I do think that Arcadia services them fairly well. They are um, profitable still, even though they might be smaller, they might have fewer doctors and fewer members and get less capitation, they still are able to make data-driven decisions from the claims data and the quality data that Arcadia provides them. Um, for example, every month we'll provide a claims feed and the client can use that to drill down and see where are our members going. Are they utilizing in-network providers or is there leakage to outside network? outside providers. If if there's leakage outside of the network, is there, there a particular specialty that we need to start contracting with? Are there unhealthy members that may need to be care managed? Are there high risk members that we need to outreach? Are there providers that may not have the best quality scores? Are there providers that may not be submitting claims? Maybe they're not seeing their patients. We have to go out to the offices and see what's going on there so that they submit their claims and our risk scores go up. So I do think we do we have some we have some smaller fish um, in the in the pond, but they are able to use the data that we provide in order to um, provide good quality care to their members and, and be profitable. Um, sometimes they don't, they, sometimes they can't do their own quality or care coordination like Carrie's organization does and they, they outsource that to Arcadia and we do have our own quality and care coordination team managing the members and going out there and even if we go into the offices and manually co collect and you know the doctors are on paper, we have the tools within our organization to have an application that houses that quality data and then is able to submit that in an electronic form format to the payers so that you do get your incentives and you are meeting um, you are meeting that financial incentive on your risk contract. So so let me draw a line between two bullet points that I think you're saying and you can tell me if I heard you correctly. One is that for the small groups, their success really is driven by a good use of all the data you have, whether it's a full set of data or, or a, a, a truncated set of data, but you can use that data to its maximum sense and even help newer, younger uh, organizations with many fewer members and much less, uh, many fewer contracts be successful. That is that fair to say Absolutely. about that group? And on the other side, um, what, what you're suggesting is taking is the data that you have and and using it to its maximum capacity is the kind of thing that helps limit the risk or at least identify where the dollars are being paid and the quality is good or bad and and allowing you to to move forward on that kind of activity is 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 that is that also a you know did did I kind of quote you correctly yes using the data to identify areas of opportunities so that you can go you can go out there and make data driven decisions in workflow changes maybe i have to have a conversation with a particular provider office maybe i have to bring on a new provider maybe we have to pay more attention to the members with these specific disease states and follow them more closely great yeah and i also think like for the for the providers offices too. You may you need to make it a little easier for them. So I think for what our quality team has done is um, we we in terms of our gaps in care lists, we we've kind of condensed it by track, by payer and practice or, or provider. And that decreases the list fatigue um, that these offices can have and also um, you know combines the clinical and the claims data together so they can see that and it reduces administrative burden for the primary care offices. So your your sense is that as you've moved along, your data's gotten more more uh, sensitive to the local primary care doctors, um, mm -hmm. and 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 you 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 apparently in your organization share that data directly with the physicians and and uh, utilize right. that. Can you talk a little bit more mm -hmm. about how an individual physician would see their mm -hmm. data? What what would they be asked to do with it? Well, I think, again, we, we show them their PCP report card quarterly, so they're able to see their quality measures where they need to close their gaps, where they've done a really good job. We also let them see and compare themselves with the other primary care physicians that are in our network. Um, and then also we have the, the PCP scorecards which show in and out of network in terms of where their, their patients are going. 
And again, with you know, with the risk uh, product, it's really important to keep um, the, the the members in network. Um, so again, we share that data with the physicians. Um, again, like Nicole was mentioning, if we have our own provider relations team um, that goes out to the provider offices. So if they need coaching and training and re-education, we can do that. Great. Um, to, to veer off a little bit, we've received another question from uh, from one of our, our, uh, our listeners. And uh, this person is asking, do you distinguish risk to providers from risk to hospitals, and you know, is is there a different feel for the you know what you expect from each of those uh, those types of providers and your risk uh, uh, models? You have sort of co-owners of doctors and hospitals own your your organization, um, correct? And and uh, generally speaking, um, the risk the risk kind of rolls down. Who is who is primarily responsible for being on the boards and setting up the the, the structures and the activities? Is that mm -hmm. the physicians or or the hospital, I mean, is. Yeah, we have, um, so we have different committees um, that then roll up to our board of directors and definitely there are physicians on all of the committees and on our on our board, yes. Mm -hmm. And so, for so, example, so, when we, go ahead. I was gonna say, so in your organization, more physician driven than hospital driven. Correct, yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, and so for example, if we were to sign a new agreement, a new risk, contract. First, it would go to our finance and contracting committee. Again, the physicians would review it. We also have some administrative people, some finance people that are on that committee. Then it would go to medical management, and then it finally would go to our, our board of directors. But you're correct. It is more physician-driven. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. Um, this, this, I think, is more of a, uh, of a question aimed at, at Arcadia, Nicole, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you uh, shoot shoot uh, sure. this this one um, so so the the the, uh, the the questioner is asking so who are the typical partners of solutions like Arcadia and you know we have both in this case I think the analytics solution and and the services solution but probably more thinking about the analytics solution in this case is it the provider who's the typical partner or is it uh, EMR management tools such as epic you know how, how does how do we get the data how does that all happen yes we I mean our typical customers are provider-led health systems, but um, we do partner with uh, EMR, EMRs such as Epic and eClinical Works so that we can build connectors that can take discrete data from those EMRs and house them in a single data warehouse where they're then normalized together with other EMRs that you're that the provider-led health systems might be utilizing. So, so the short answer is our customers are typically providers and hospital systems, but we do partner with EMRs. And I think uh, just to kind of put a little meat on the bones, we're, we're, we're collecting data uh, through connectors from a little bit more than 30 different kinds of, of, uh, of, of EMRs and, and trying to get that as much data as we can pull out of those organizations, along with all the claims data that gets developed and, and sent to, uh, to us on behalf of the providers. So, so in, in those cases, the EMRs are really more, more of the, uh, the, the sources of, of data. They collect the data from the physicians, all the clinical data gets created, the claims data tells us what happened, all of that gets absorbed up and then run through the uh, the analytics tools uh, at at Arcadia to be able to to then pass that information and publish that information back to people like Carrie so that she and her doctors mm -hmm. can use that data to make the appropriate decisions. Um, so so that's uh, that that's that's how we're uh, that's 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 how we're looking at uh, that data. Um, just got a question that, uh, that that talks a little bit more about a very, very specific type of uh, um, specialty, uh, that being uh, oncology. And it says, um, as, as, a, uh, as, as a clinician trying to move from direct care to a career path in value-based care, what opportunities are there to share ideas and learn from others um, um, and, and uh, to be part of, of these uh, models? Um, I, I would say that uh, th this, from my perspective, uh, Carrie and and and, uh, and Nicole, please uh, jump in as well. But but I think the opportunity there, uh, the opportunities are in in places like um, uh, the, the the various uh, uh, organizations that put on these larger conferences that that talk about the the intersection between data and and uh, and and uh, outcomes. 
And, and what you'll find in, in places, uh, you know, there, some of those are more sales related like HIMSS, uh, H-I-M-S-S, uh, which, which uh, happens on an annual basis. But there are a number of other of organizations where, where folks who are in the, uh, in the process of managing risk and trying to do activities and also are trying to squeeze as much information out of their, uh, their EMRs and, and uh, uh, claim systems as possible, where they meet to talk about best practices and, and uh, those kinds of activities. Um, if, if you really pretty much pull up Google and talk about, uh, you know, just type in the words, you know, sort of, you know, data and outcomes, uh, healthcare data and, and outcomes, you'll, you'll get the organizations that are involved in that. There's probably 10 or 12 that are pretty, pretty valuable. Um, but that, that's, that, that would be the place I would go. You spend uh, four or five days listening to people who are into this every day, talking about the kinds of things that are both helpful and not helpful. And then you, you would be able to connect up with uh, the folks that are really focused on your, your specialties and the activities that happen. Um, question of, uh, of, of uh, is, is the data that we get run through language processing to find open gaps? And, and uh, I, we, we, we will cop to the fact, the three of us, that we're the clin clinical people, not, not, the, not the technical people. But I will tell you that, uh, that I, know, I know a few of, of things that, that, that are true. And that is when we're reaching in to pull the data out of the uh, systems, one of the things that Arcadia does, it's a little bit different than many uh, organizations doing something similar, is we don't grab just the top. 20 uh, pieces of information that are, are, are required to, to answer HEDIS questions. Uh, we are pulling in full data sets of information, uh, mm -hmm. which would include, you know, of course, lab results and, and those kinds of things, but also include the less structured data around notes that doctors put into the system or referrals that get written uh, throughout the organization. Um, and so, in that in that process, we do use a processing system, and again, I don't know all the technicalities to it, to basically look for cues and and uh, and examples of something that may be a hint of something that has happened or an outcome that is that is defined that isn't showing up in a numeric uh, system like. Uh, here's what the last hemoglobin A1C would be. So we do we do some of that. Language processing is one of those things that uh, has different meanings to different people. But but you will find that with all the data that Arcadia is pulling in, we have to take a look at the unstructured data as well as the structured data to make some sense. Um, and I hope that kind of answers the question uh, in a very non-technical way. Um, question: Can small offices use the data analytics help to better serve patients and potentially get value-based care contracts? Um, so Carrie, what do you answer, think? Oh, or go ahead. Nicole, go ahead. Go ahead, Nicole. I was, I was going to say that um, most of the offices that are using our analytics are, are already part of a large, uh, a large health system already. But I would think that if you are a user, you can go ahead and go in there, and you can you can use the data to show what quality outcomes your providers have specific specifically so that you can negotiate better contracts with the payers. So if you have a large membership, you're keeping your quality scores up, your patients are generally healthy, they're getting their preventative services. Um, or if you, if you have a sick population and you can prove that your risk scores are high, but you're still managing the members very well, you can use that data to then get better value-based care contracts. That's, thank you for that. Carrie, anything to add to that question? You have quite a few independent smaller offices that, mm -hmm. that uh, you work with. Uh, what, what, how do you think they would answer that question? Yeah, I mean, I think the more that you can give access to the, the tool, more that, so that they can review it and they can look at it and they can pull down their data, exactly what Nicole was stating, that's going to help you with your, your value-based contracts. Yeah, we have. Uh, I would. I would just add that if thinking about the, the local independent and 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 in the neighborhoods that uh, some of Carrie's uh, activities are, mm -hmm. they're in. They're in. You know, very. Uh, you know, dif difficult neighborhoods. Uh, there's a lot of uh, a lot of thought process around the. Uh, you know, the the whole idea of of um, you know the, the the being able to service people that maybe can't get services elsewhere, inner city neighborhoods, and so on. Um, where where the uh, social determinants of health are really important, um, mm -hmm. what what we what we 
you know, keep thinking about with small offices is it's probably even more important for a small office to have some way to help them get a handle around their uh, their populations and the kinds of uh, you know activities and, and needs they have, partially because the needs are so many and the general staffing in a small office is pretty small. And so it's really hard for a small office, maybe a doctor and two or three staff to try to keep track of all the diabetics and who's been admitted to the hospital and what kind of emergency room there is. Any kind of system that you can get that can help maybe stratify some of those kinds of things and put it into, you know, sort of readable uh, knowledge based kinds of things will make it easier for the office to to practice. I, the, the balance, of course, is cost. And, and uh, you know, of course, then there has to be some training about sort of how to use the data and to make it work. But but we believe it's really powerful for any size office to have data about what's going on inside of their activity. It's just too hard to keep track of on a day to day basis, especially when you're you know, you are running 100 miles an hour from seven in the morning until seven at night. Very difficult. Um, so question that gets asked, uh, you know, what what does EHR data add to what is already in the claims data? Um, Terry, maybe you want to start with that? Yeah, I mean, uh, EHR data, I mean, if you're going to have more of the clinical data, that's going to be more real time. The claims data, what we found is there's there's a delay, you know, there can be a delay in claims data. That's why you need both. You need the clinical feed and you need the claims feed. Yeah, and the claims aren't going to tell you what the blood pressure is. The exactly. EHR data will, you know, you might mm -hmm. not have, mm -hmm. you might not have the A1C in your lab data. You can tell the A1C was mm -hmm. done on a particular day, but you either need a human to uh, go into the medical record and upload that to the payer, or you can use the EHR connector data to, to do that for you. And, yes. and, and yes. I, you know, I'm, I'm sure you've kind of heard that in, in, in what both of uh, uh, both Carrie and, and Nicole mentioned, but you know, we we always we always like to say, you know, having having the EMR data and and what happens there is really valuable, but it tends to be only the data from inside of your system. So it's only the data for your office and the offices that are connected to you. Once that patient leaves, goes across the street to another system, the EMR doesn't help you with that data, and that's where the claims data really can kind of start to fill mm -hmm. in some of the activity, uh, because the claims data will tell you everywhere the patient's been. So. A, a really constructive blend of both of those pieces of information gives you the best look at your entire population and how they utilize your system and what they're leaving on the table in terms of uh, quality outcomes and, and all the rest. Because five stars get measured on all the things that happen to a patient, not just the things that happen inside of your building. So you may have the best system and the best doctors ever. Um, but if for some reason they leak out and get all their ortho care with somebody who is a one a one star provider or a one star hospital system, you get tagged with that that service. And so it's good to know those kinds of activities. Um, but so we think both are important and they both bring different uh, different strengths to the table. Um, hopefully that that answers that question. Uh, next question is and this is kind of a long one, but it says it looks like value based companies like one medical bright health Oscar Friday. Oak Street, Babylon had large unexpected cash burns in the first quarter uh, with historically the back half of the year being more challenging. What do you think these companies need to do in order to adapt? Um, we, we are certainly not, uh, you know, not, not uh, in the place where we would tell companies how to, uh, how to earn their money. And, and, and many of these have business strategies where a cash burn is, is perfectly acceptable uh, as a trade-off to getting more providers or, or you know, to, to have a three-year burn rather than, uh, you know, try to be profitable up front. Um, so, so some of that burn may, in fact, be built into their business model. And, and I don't have a lot to say about, you know, sort of which ones those are. But I will say that when you're doing a high-end value-based care kind of process, you will routinely see costs uh, be higher in the first half of the year because that's the period of time when you're trying to capture the most quality of, of care activity. You're trying to get your, you know, if you're, if you're in a Medicare environment, you're trying to get your annual wellness visit done. If you're, if you're in a commercial environment, you're trying to make sure that you've captured as many of the diabetic patients and congestive heart failure patients as you can so that you can treat them throughout the year. So you generally will see um, a, a much bigger push in terms of staff and cost at trying to get care done early in the year so that your your coding is most appropriate uh, 
and 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 uh, in, in a way that you you wouldn't have if you waited till later in the year to get that coating right. So, just from a, a pure medical spend, that's not unusual that you would see the kind of a higher spend in the beginning of the year um, in in those organizations. The question becomes. Can you control the ultimate expense, the ones that Carrie has been describing? Does getting that, you know, spending that money up front and getting that data and helping your coding go up, does that in fact help you control the cost of your care over time? And that's, those are the kinds of things that, you know, we, we have talked about in terms of, you know, chronic care management and, and, and following your patients and making sure they're not leaking out of your system and all the rest of the things that, that kind of happen. Those are important as well. But, but it wouldn't be surprising that you spend a little bit more money up front to try to be successful. Um, uh, let's see. Are you able to obtain commercial risk score methodology from the various insurance companies, uh, including diagnosis codes and uh, and and uh, some of the proprietary informations? Um, not sure. You know, it says example wake wake wakely. I'm not sure exactly. Uh, again, I'm I'm the clinical guy, so somebody in my company could explain weekly to me uh, a lot more, but, but I would say um, we do, we do use uh, um, non-proprietary purchased uh, um, risk, risk score modalities. Uh, we have several that we use, some that are based on commercial Medicare and Medicaid so that each of those organizations has something different. We try to build, we build that into our organi organization software so that uh, folks like Carrie can decide sort of how they want to measure their risk. And with a filter, they can kind of flip between the different kinds of risk scores um, so that uh, so that can happen. And we're always open to listening to how, uh, how, how uh, risk scores uh, um, impact. I will say that over time, we've also built our own proprietary risk score called the ARC score. Uh, and, and really the difference between that and the proprietary ones is, is really what we're trying to say is there's some costs and some services that cannot be controlled somebody gets cancer, they're going to need chemo for six weeks, and then they're going to need some radiation, and that's just going to cost money, and there's really not a lot to do outside of be ready to handle that member when they come out of treatment. Um, so what we do is we try to say to our customers, here's a series of uh, risk scores based on the things that you can actually control, so that when Carrie and her nurses turn around uh, to do things, they are focusing on patients where focused care management will have some impact rather than just identifying the most expensive or the sickest uh, cancer patients where, where maybe care management's not going to be as valuable. Uh, again, so that's just sort of my, my thought on that. Yeah. Um, or maybe, Brian, they take a look at their risk gap where the members yes. might have a diagnosis that has not been coded for this year. If you have the analytics tool, you can identify that, oh, there may be a gap. If you have a good quality or PR team, they can then go out to the provider and say, hey, you know, you really need to call these five members. I see that they have a gap in their risk here and you can increase your risk scores that way. Thanks. Next uh, question we have is, how do we convince uh, EMR management uh, of the value of our solution um, and, and uh, you know, whether it, it benefits their clients and, and not them? Um, that, you know, we, we, live in a, we live in a consumer market. It's, it's a free and open market. There's lots of people selling lots of things. And, and uh, we think we have a, a very, very solid and very valuable tool. And so does Epic and so does ECW and, and, and so does, uh, you know, the insurance companies believe they have, you know, the smartest thing going, uh, Humana's and Blue Crosses and so on. Um, so it, it isn't so much that we have to convince them that things are going, um, but but the kind of but the kind of activities that that you know basically um, uh, our customers need uh, kind of is if fits in between the HRs. EHRs are really valuable. Nobody's going to say they're not. Um, but the EHR in and of itself is not the only tool that that's necessary in order to make an end-to-end -end kind of decision-making process. Um, so I would say we spend a lot of time talking with these organizations to try to convince them that we can coexist in this space. And 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 then you know the customers like Carrie have to decide what they're going to buy and, and what and what they're going to use. Um, we're running out of time, and so I want to be sure that we kind of close off the loop. Uh, so thank you all for your questions. Um, Carrie, Carrie, I, I think maybe uh, we'll start with you and then Nicole, uh, maybe a minute from you as well. But what is, Carrie, if you had to think about it, if you were starting tomorrow, what is the single mm -hmm. most important thing that, uh, or maybe a couple of things that 
are 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 necessary to to be successful at at handling uh, value based care uh, or full bore risk uh, environments. Yeah, so I think if you're looking at you know going from even value based care to risk, you need to make sure that once you sign that agreement with the payer, that you definitely look at the delegation of financial responsibility or the DOFR. You have to understand exactly you know, what you are at risk for, what services you are responsible for paying claims on, the benefit plans, the co-pays, and how you're going to build that in a, in a, in a claim system. Again, are you building it or are you buying that and, and having those services um, handled by another organization? And, you know, you have to make sure that you have, you know, utilization management and care coordination with that risk uh, contract. Um, again, your network design and uh, network adequacy is really important. Are you going to do a narrow network? Are you going to do a broad network? You have to understand exactly how you're going to design that network for that um, contract. And then keep in mind, if you're going to play in Medicare, you got to have uh, compliance. You got to have a compliance officer. You have to understand exactly, you know, uh, the different uh, reports that you have to submit to that payer because you don't want to get in trouble with the compl with compliance. Um, so just keep that in mind. Certainly uh, important when you start thinking about the new uh, the new reach programs that that Medicare is 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 designing mm -hmm. and, and rolling out as we speak. Um, so that mm -hmm. that is very important. Uh, Nicole, do you have uh, you have a, a sentence or two on what what you how you how you envision what's really important to a risk program? Well, what I would add to that is you need to have a physician champion. You have to have a physician that engages other physicians, someone to lead the committee meetings, and a physician that understands the value-based agreements and knows the opportunities that they have um, in order to move forward in the market. And then, again, as we've said all along on this webinar, you have to have a way to measure success and outcomes. Um, you're not going to, if you don't know where you're at, you're not going to get to the goals that you're trying to achieve. Well, thank you, both of you. Uh, it's been uh, it's been it always reminds me uh, of, of uh, what smart and, uh, you know, good people I work with uh, every day. So so thank you for sharing your time. Uh, it's a complicated uh, process uh, uh, and yet it's doable. And I know it's doable because Carrie and her team have put together uh, a very successful activity. And and Nicole is working even with the, you know, the smaller kinds of you know, groups that, that need a little bit extra help and they've been successful. So we have watched for 20 years, the, you know, we have watched organizations become successful and, and be able to take their place in, in, the, in the managed care structure. Can't wait to see what comes next. Um, thank, thanks uh, for everybody for attending today as well. Michael, you got any last statements? What a great discussion. Thank you so much, Brian, Carrie, Nicole, for sharing your insights and really showing us what success in value-based care really looks like. And for all of you listening in, thank you so much for attending and spending some time with us here on Vitals. You can get additional show notes by going to arcadia.io slash vitals. You can view a, a, a video recording of this session you can get access to additional articles, case studies, video series that are related to taking on risk. And we have these series every single month, so you can sign up to actually subscribe and get notified when we do live recordings of these webinars and podcasts. Again, that's arcadia.io slash vitals. Uh, we hope you learned something new here today, and we'll see you next time.